All right, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. We looked at this passage last week, and that's where we're going to start tonight. I don't have a lot of verses to give you. Last week we did that and, um, and in defining what standards were. And uh, up to this point, we've talked about convictions, we've talked about principles, we've talked about preferences, and then last week we, we explained that standards are rules that I institute in my life to help me abide by my convictions. We use a lot of examples of, of cliffs and fences, right? Uh, you look at the, uh, the Grand Canyon or any other majestic place uh, that has a huge canyon or a huge pit or some place that you can fall and, and uh, go over the edge of the cliff and fall to your death. So there's fences there to keep us from that. And we set those fences away from the edge of the cliff just so that uh, uh, we make sure that we don't go over the edge of the cliff. We don't want to break our convictions and fall into sin. So our convictions are that cliff's edge, falling over that cliff's edge is, is falling into sin, and so we set the fences far back from that edge so that we make sure that we don't break those convictions. And so tonight, I want to give you seven brief thoughts that flow from this idea and this understanding of standards as a concept. I would recommend writing these down. I'm going to give you some verses that we're not necessarily going to look at tonight, but that you could go back uh, yourself uh, maybe later this week and look at some of those. Um, that, that may be a help to you. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this as we get started too, um, we are going to be looking at some of these things that we're talking about tonight in more detail and in more depth later. So some of them that, that we'll talk about, I'm only going to touch on tonight because we have seven things. I don't want to be all night with these and, and we won't be. So I'm just going to, I want to give you seven things tonight that, that will, if, if I was going to say anything, last week we talked about standards being defined and today, tonight, we're going to talk about standards being applied. How do you apply, then, uh, the definition of standards and convictions and principles and preferences and all of those things and, and put them into something that we can actually use in our lives? That's, where, that's, that's essentially what we're talking about tonight. So the first thing is this. There is wisdom in setting the fence well away from the cliff. There's wisdom in setting the fence well away from the cliff. And we see there in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 14. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. If this passage teaches anything, I think it's, it teaches that staying far away from potential sin is a wise thing to do, right? Enter not into the path of the wicked. Don't go in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn away from it, pass away. That is saying, at all costs, you better stay away from what the evil people are doing, what evil men are doing. And so we saw last week in Joseph's life the example of the way that he set up uh, standards of not being alone with Potiphar's wife, set up standards of, of things that he was going to do to keep from breaking what was a known conviction that adultery was a sin. And Joseph put those things in his life to keep that from happening. We can debate where to put the fence, but we first have to admit that there is wisdom in, in keeping it well away from the edge of the cliff. So many Christians today seem to set the standards as close to the edge as they possibly can while still, be called, while still being called a Christian and while still being technically maybe within the bounds of that conviction. Uh, maybe technically not going over the edge. But what most Christians do not seem to understand is that not only are they far closer to that edge than they realize, many of them have actually fallen over the cliff. They are past those convictions. They are in sin. And even though they may not necessarily recognize it, or even though they may not necessarily be willing to admit it, they have gone over that edge. 
Now, our goal should not be to get as close to the world or as close to the edge as possible. Our goal ought to be to get as close to Christ and as close to his holiness as possible and as far from the edge as possible. So we'll say this for number one. There's wisdom in setting the fence well away from the edge of the cliff. Number two, there is folly in making standards themselves the point. And I think a lot of uh, churches, especially, um, especially in the last 30, 40 years, maybe 50 years even, have made standards themselves the point. And there's, there's, there's wisdom in, in setting the fence while they're away from the cliff, but there's folly in making standards themselves the point. And all we have to do is go back to the example of the Pharisees in the Bible, right? Their, their systemic flaw that they had, um, I think, illustrates this point very well. They viewed the, the Torah as a garden, and they viewed their, you know, they needed to have a fence around that to protect it. So, uh, so far, so good. But they took my point number one too far, in essence. If a six-foot fence is good, then a 12-foot fence must be way better. And so they started building 12-foot fences around everything. And, and um, uh, the rules that they instituted to protect the people from sin got increasingly complex, and then the more difficult those rules got and the more complex those rules got, the more the explanation of and the more the enforcement of those rules became the point, not the staying away from sin or not the protection of the Torah or all of these other things that they were trying to do. It became following these rules that became the point, not the holiness of God, not the, not the, uh, the following of the actual Bible principle or the Bible command. And so there, there are those who use this fact, the fact that the Pharisees misapplied um, the rules and the standards. They use that to insist that standards as a concept are dangerous. Well, you can't set standards because then you're going to be like the Pharisees, and you're going you're to be Pharisaical, and it's going to be the rules that are more important than the actual, uh, than the actual staying away from the sin. And, and I, think, I think it's ironic, but that, that's, that's more, a more dangerous position than the Pharisees' misapplication of that. The Bible example of the Pharisees does not make the fences that we call standards wrong. It makes the emphasis on those standards wrong. You can overemphasize those things, and they can be to a point where the standards become the point rather than the holiness of Christ becoming the point. Here's why. Keeping behind a fence may prevent you from one particular cliff, but your evil heart is still with you on that other side of the fence. And so, if you're not constantly seeking the Lord in your heart, if you're not constantly loving Him in your heart and mortifying your, mortifying your flesh in your heart and uh, uh, yielding to Him and giving, him, giving in to Him there, then all of the rule-keeping in the world is not going to make you spiritual. And there's a lot of people who have focused on the standards. Well, I keep the standards, so I'm a spiritual person. And that's not the point. They put the emphasis on the wrong thing. The standards themselves cannot be the point. The enforcement of the standards themselves cannot be the point. Holiness of Christ has to be the point. And reflecting the image of Christ has to be the point. And we have standards there to help us do that. But when the standards become the point, then we've missed the point. And we've gone, uh, actually it makes you pharisaical when that happens. The standards can never become the point. And I think also when standards become the point, then when the moment that standard is no longer there to guide you, because you went to another church or because situations or circumstances changed in your life, whatever, whatever the reason, um, pastor changed in the same church that you're at and he does not have the st- same standard that the pastor before had or whatever else. 
those standards change, and now all of a sudden, yours did too. Because the standard was the point. You're going to be right back on the other side of the fence if the standard was the whole emphasis. Holiness of Christ has to be the emphasis. Reflecting Him has to be the emphasis. And then it doesn't matter who sets the standard. You've already set that standard for yourself. And you've already made up your mind that you're going to do this because this is right, regardless of what anybody else says or does. And when the standard becomes the point, then when, for whatever reason, that standard changes, you're crossing right over that fence and you're jumping right over the edge of that cliff. So holiness has to be the purpose. Closeness to Christ has to be the purpose. The glory of God has to be the purpose, not the standard itself. Which then brings us to number three. You must understand that your fences will not always have specific biblical support. And I know that sounds bad to say that because you're saying, what, I thought everything we're supposed to, we do is supposed to have a, a, a biblical support for it. And you're right, it does. But remember, we, we emphasize this when we discuss principles in the Bible. And I'm going to discuss this in a lot more detail later. But let me illustrate this with the, uh, the ever-controversial standard that women ought not to wear pants, right? That's, that's, there, there's so much controversy around that, and there is, of course, no specific Bible verse that says, if you are a woman, thou shalt not wear pants, right? There's no Bible verse that says that. But there are at least two biblical principles that apply here. First of all, there's the principle of modesty. And again, this is where you can write down some, some chapters to go back and look at because we see these principles there. Um, but we see the principle, first of all, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, right? They sinned, and what happened right after they sinned? They realized that they were naked, and they did what? They, they scrambled to cover themselves up because they realized their nakedness. That's the modesty issue. Uh, it's, it's a principle that we see in the flood, and, uh, after the flood, in relation to Noah and his sons, right? One of his sons saw his father's nakedness, and he was cursed because of it. We find that in Genesis chapter 9. But the principle of modesty is a principle that's seen in the worship in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 20 and Exodus chapter 28. It's a principle that's seen in the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's a principle that's seen at the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And there's a whole lot more in between, but you see it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the principle of modesty. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that we talk about, that, that woman should not wear pants. It's the issue of modesty. But it also goes beyond that. There's another Bible principle that, is, that, uh, that applies here as well, and that's the, the principle of expressing a clear gender identity. There ought to be a distinction in the genders. And there's, there, there is Bible, uh, uh, pretty specific Bible passages that speak of that, but there's also a lot of Bible principles that talk about that as well. And we see that principle there all the way in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, right? What does the Bible say? Male and female created he them. We talk so often about, well, there's 400 and something. It's not 400. It's like 40 something different genders that you can pick from now, right? You can be, and I don't even know all the terms, but you can be male. You can be female. You can be uh, um, transgender. I mean, and there's a million other things that fit into that thing, but you don't, you don't get to pick what you are. You are what you are. God made you male or God made you female, right? And, and the same thing is true then. There ought to be a distinction between the genders. Um, I, I find it interesting that, uh, that, that even the world sees that. Uh, you know, you see the, a bathroom sign, and you don't even have to see men or women. There's a, there's a man standing there in pants, and there's a woman standing there in a dress. Why? Because there's a distinction between the genders. Here's, here's an interesting thing to me that's, that's funny as well. Or I say funny, I, maybe interesting is more the right word. But whenever somebody changes their gender and decides, um, a man decides that he's going to become a woman, 
Every time you see him in public, what is he wearing? He's wearing a dress because he wants everybody to know that he's now a woman, right? And that's such an interesting thing is that even the world recognizes the fact that, hey, women are supposed to wear dresses. There is a distinction in the genders, right? And there's a lot of other principles that talk about that. We see that in Moses' instructions prior to his death in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It's a principle that we see in Paul's instructions about hair, even, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a principle that's, that's seen in the description of the marriage roles in Ephesians chapter 5. But, but each of those principles clearly emphasizes the importance to God and that they're repeatedly emphasized from one end of Scripture to the other. And this is what I'm saying. We're just touching on these things tonight. We're going to talk about it a lot more because it's something that I think we need to understand from the Word of God. But all I'm saying in this point is that you have to understand that your fences are not always going to have a specific Bible verse because the Bible was written to be eternal. And times change. Things change. But, but what does not change is the principles that we find in the Word of God. And so there's not always going to be because, you know, back in... Back in um, Back in the 1600s in America, uh, or maybe in England, um, or even before that, but there was, there was, I mean, smoking was not really a thing, right? There was nothing in the Bible that said, thou shalt not smoke. There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not, you know, uh, name it. There's a lot of things that we see today that even 100 years ago, people would be saying, what in the world is that? Why is that in the Bible? That's, what is that, right? But now we see it everywhere because people are inventing things that are wicked. People are inventing new sins. People are inventing new kind of things all the time. The Bible, as an eternal book, has, to, has some specific commands, but then it also has some principles that we have to follow as well so that they cross all time barriers and everything else. But the cliffs here, to use our visual illustration, are immodesty and gender confusion. The, the fence or the standard that the, the ladies in my home in particular will not wear pants is designed to, designed to keep us from going over either one of those cliffs. I don't have a specific chapter and verse to point to, but that standard is very biblical. And that's, that's the point of, of number three. You have to understand that your fences are not always going to have specific biblical support, but they will be Bible principles, and they must be based on Bible principles, or it shouldn't be a standard. Here's number four. Allowing double standards will usually result in the next generation tearing down the fence. Um, let me use, in fact, turn over to Psalm 101. Let me use movies as an illustration here, all right? Uh, when I was growing up, it was very common to hear that a Christian shouldn't go to a movie theater, right? You heard that all the time. The principle behind that standard was found there in Psalm 101, verse number three. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And I think there's a lot of principles that apply in this. I, I, I think that, um, you know, even if the movie is you know, whatever, you're still supporting a lot, of the, a lot of the people who are promoting a lot of these things that are anti-Bible, anti-God, and everything else. But that's not, the, the point is that you used to hear all the time that Christians shouldn't go to the movie theater. So far, so good, but when I was still pretty young, VCRs became a thing, right? You could, you could have a VCR in your home, and now, all of a sudden, all those movies that used to only be in the theater were now able to be brought into the home and plugged into a, a VCR player, and you could watch that movie yourself, and suddenly all of those movies that they were condemning at the movie theater, they were now watching in their homes. They brought it all inside, and that, that clear double standard led a lot of the young people I knew to accuse their authority of hypocrisy, and then they used that apparent hypocrisy as a justification to 
say that anything they want to watch goes. And maybe not necessarily when they were that age, but there's a lot of kids that I grew up with that, that have no semblance of Christianity whatsoever. And I think a lot of it has to do many times with a double standard, or at least if it, if it wasn't a double standard, it was at least a perceived double standard to them. And in my view, we would have been better off teaching, the, teaching people to exercise discernment in relation to individual movies rather than forbidding a movie theater entirely but allowing VCR. Now, I still disagree with going to the movie theater. Um, the Bible says to avoid all appearance of evil. That's still a command of the Bible. I have a testimony to uphold. If you saw me coming out of a movie theater, your first thought is not, oh, I bet he went in to see Mary Poppins, right? Your first thought is, what was the pastor in there watching? Why was he at the movie theater? I wonder if he was watching a, an R-rated movie. And now you start looking around and all these movie posters that have all this filthiness and wickedness all over them, and you're saying, I wonder if he went and watched that movie. I wonder if he went and watched that movie. And it may have been that I was in the movie theater watching Mary Poppins. But you don't know that, and it has the appearance of evil now because now you're saying, I wonder if he really does practice what he preaches. I wonder if all of this stuff that he says about movies, he's telling us, and then he's going and watching all of these other things on, uh, on his own time. I saw the pastor coming out of the movie theater, right? And so to avoid all appearance of evil, um, and I preach often from, from this pulpit that, that you ought not to watch things with, with cursing and swearing, with people dressed in things that are immodest. And, you know, the things that are inappropriate, things that are not pleasing to God. And for me to go and preach against the movie theater and then to watch it the moment it comes out on a DVD is a double standard. And it's hypocritical. And I'll tell you exactly, whether you know it or not, what's going to happen is my kids are going to say, I heard Dad preach on that all the time. And then we watched all of this stuff in our home. I'll be honest with you. I think that's one of the reasons why so many pastors' kids run off into the world. Because they hear their fathers preach week after week after week against all of these things. And then they say, doesn't mean anything to him. He's preaching it. And then we're doing this. I know what we're doing in our home. I know what we're watching in our home. I, I know what he's watching. I know what he's doing. It's so hypocritical. And they may not say that until they get older. But they start looking back and they say, everything that he preached meant nothing. Because he said it, but then he went and did it himself. And, and that's exactly what's happening. And, and you know, and, and honestly... Um, you know, it, it would probably cause you to reject everything that I preach about if you found out that I was watching stuff that I'm preaching against, even if I'm right, because you see me as a hypocrite. And that's exactly what the next generation is going to do as well. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I, I do practice what I preach. I'll, I'll let anybody that wants to, to come into my house and look at my very limited DVD collection. Most of everything we have is documentaries and things like that that are you know, uh, that, that we actually buy so we can show them in church. So you can come look at anything you want to look at. You can look at any of the, the viewing history on, on the, we have very limited platforms that we watch it on, but you can come in and look at any of those things. I don't have anything to hide because what I'm, what I'm preaching to you is what I do my best to practice. Because the last thing that I want to do is have a double standard. The last thing that I want to be is a hypocrite. And if we allow a double standard in any area then what's going to happen is the second generation is going to come along. They're going to see that double standard, and they're going to say, that fence didn't mean anything to them. Why is that fence even there? Let's tear it down. And then they tear the fence down, and then everybody else that comes along after them is just running straight over the cliff. So I'm, I'm, I'm an open book because I have to be if I expect you to take heed to anything that, that, that I say. And when we allow double standards in any area, that's exactly what happens. So allowing a double standard will usually result in the next generation tearing down the fence. Which then brings us to number five. You have to make the fence your own. 
You have to make the fence your own. If you've been handed a standard by a pastor or a youth pastor or a teacher or a parent, it is acceptable to live by that standard for now. The same way that every young person in our church who has heard the gospel many times has to accept the gospel at some point for themselves. They have to make Jesus Christ their own savior. And it's the same thing when it comes to standards. It's acceptable to live by that standard because your pastor says, hey, this is what you ought to do. It's acceptable to live by that standard because your parents say this is what you ought to do. But at some point, that standard has to become your own. That fence has to become your own. And I, in fact, as I said before, it's probably wise to do that. God gave you that authority to help guide you into holiness and spirituality. It's wise to follow the godly leadership that God's placed in your life. It's wise to follow your pastoral leadership. It's wise to follow your parental leadership. But at some point, you have to buy in. You have to come to the place where you hold or keep that rule in your own life because you believe you should. All my life growing up, I was told what standards I was going to keep. And I better, I better keep those standards or I'm going to be punished for not keeping those standards. But along the way, I wasn't just doing it because this is what I've been told to do. I started doing it because this is what I believed myself. And that standard was not just something that I was following. Obviously, I'm not at home anymore. Obviously, I'm not in the church that I grew up in, but I still hold to the same standards now as I did then because those standards became my own. And eventually, it has to become your own. You cannot and, and should not eternally rest that fence on the foundation of somebody else's authority in your life because essentially uh, and, and inevitably what's going to happen is somewhere along that line, that authority is no longer going to be there. If it's a parent, you're going to grow up and move out of the house. If it's a, a pastor, he may leave or you may leave. And then what? Well, that was just something that my parents made me do. That was just something that that pastor did. Eventually, that standard has to become your own. Or as soon as that authority figure is no longer there, that fence is going to be torn down, and you're going to be running closer and closer and closer and probably falling over the edge of that cliff. Number six, do not tear down a fence until you understand very well why it was put there in the first place. I see this happening so often um, with good Christian, you know, I say good Christian, but Christian young people that I grew up with. I'm not saying to hold a traditional understanding of standards just because it's traditional. I'm saying that wisdom holds standards until it's thought very long and very hard about what will happen when they're removed. See, we're living in an age in Christianity where standards that have been held for generations are being thrown out overnight by a newer, younger generation. They look at some of the things that the older generation did that, that was somebody's standard instead of a biblical standard, and they're, they're saying, that stuff needs to go, and so they take everything, and essentially, they throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? They, they, they get rid of all of it, and now, these things that they said for years and years and years, we don't need that anymore. Get rid of it, and that's, where, that's why you're seeing so many kids, but, but young people, and now not even so young people anymore, that have grown up in good, solid, independent Baptist churches and good, solid, independent Baptist homes that are now embracing complete contemporary church. You know, they go to church on Sunday morning dressed in their ripped up jeans and their, you know, t-shirt and, and flip-flop sandals. And there's, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the, the, all the music and everything else that we've all, that we've all talked about with the... Uh, you know, contemporary Christian worship and all of that stuff. 
they know better because they grew up in what was right. But why? Why are they doing that now? Because they said, ah, that's, that, that one right there, that's not something that should have ever been a standard. Let's throw it all out. And what took generations and generations to develop, they're throwing out overnight because they didn't sit there and take the time to figure out, okay, why was this put here in the first place? Why, why was this a standard? Why did all those pastors for years and years and years say that? It's, it's, it's a lot of wisdom in that. And I've sat there many, many times, and, I've, I, you know, and, and of course, the only thing that I have to base everything that I do in my life off of or, or the experience that I have in my life is the church that I grew up in. And there are some things that I look back and I say, why did they, why did they do that? That's not something that they really should have done. But then I say, you know what? They weren't the only ones that were preaching that. So why did all of those pastors who, whose names are known in history preach that? There must have been a reason why they preached it. And so before I just go tearing all the fences down, I need to try to go back and say, why was that fence put there in the first place, right? It very well might be that, uh, you know, that, that um, they're using this canyon as a dumping spot. And, you know, they've just been, you know, taking all their old fill and dumping it and everything else. And now there's not even a canyon there, right? And, and, but there's a fence. And, and what used to be the edge of the cliff is not an edge of a cliff anymore. It's a, it's a hill. And so you wonder, why is there a fence there? Well, they must have put it there in the first place. Go back and figure it out. Oh, well, there used to be a giant canyon there, and now they filled it in and everything else. And, and so now, okay, maybe there's not necessarily a need for a fence there. We can take this one down. But so many times what happens is people are sitting on a bench, and they're looking out, and all they see is the, the, the edge of the cliff, and they don't see the drop-off, and they say, there's no need for a fence there. Let's go tear it down, and they tear it down. And the next thing you know, all the people who are following them, and they themselves just say, there used to be a fence, and there's not anymore, and they march, march right over the edge. And they tore a fence down that should have stayed there because it was put there for a reason. So I believe that pastors and youth pastors and, and principals who take over institutions and immediately start throwing out all the rules honestly are acting very foolish. Those rules may, or may not need to be overhauled, but if they do need overhaul, it ought to be done in a thoughtful, careful, painstaking, cautious manner. Don't just throw it out because, well, we feel like throwing it out. I believe that there are some things that used to be done that can or should be changed, but we should be so cautious about changing them. Honestly, it ought to take years for that change to take place, not weeks or days or months. Again, it goes back to the fact that most pastors don't want to hold themselves or their children to those standards, and so instead of being a hypocrite, they just change the standard. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite to my kids, so the way to keep from being a hypocrite is just make that not a rule and make that not a standard anymore. Now I'm not a hypocrite. But now you're running over the edge of the cliff, and so are they. But you're all doing it together, so at least my kids don't see me as a hypocrite. At least my people don't see me as a hypocrite anymore. I could give you a lot of examples of pastors who preached and held dress standards and music standards and so many other standards that they had in their lives. But as their kids got older, all of a sudden, their standards changed. And a lot of it's because, well, their kids started putting pressure on them, and this is what my kids want to do, and, oh, you know... Then they start making excuses or giving reasons why that never should have been a standard to start with. It wasn't a biblical principle or a Bible command that changed. It was the pastor and his family that changed. And that's why the standard changed. They tore that fence down overnight when it was put there for a reason. And it all comes back to the question of what our goal is. Is it to make my life easier? Or is it to reflect the image of Jesus Christ in my life? Hey, it's easy to throw out all the standards. 
it's easy to just go do whatever you want to do and not have to follow rules and not have to do things that, that keep me in line. It'd be so easy to just go watch whatever you felt like watching. Be easy to dress however you want to dress. Be easy to just let whatever music we want to have, uh, any whim or whatever. It'd be easy if we were doing that, right? But is the purpose for it to be easy or is the purpose for us to be holy? Is the purpose for us to be right with God and to reflect his image? That's the purpose, and that's why it's not easy. So rather than just going out there and, oh, I don't know why this fence was there. Let's tear it down. And then wishing we hadn't, we have to make sure that we don't tear a fence down until we understand very well why it was put there in the first place. And then here's the last one, number seven. If you want to know why a fence was there, wait a while and watch what happens to the people who tear it down. Um, this, this comes from the biblical concept of prudence that we find in mostly in the book of Proverbs, but we find it in the Bible. It's prudent to look down the road, see what's coming, and make a wise adjustment as necessary, right? Uh, if, 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 uh, if you're walking down train tracks and you see a train coming at you, it's very prudent to say, you know what, that's a lot bigger than I am. I think I'll get off the tracks and let it pass, and then I'll get back on the tracks, right? And that's what, that's what prudence is. But in this case, it's prudent to look down the road and see what will happen if you tear down that fence. Let me reach back to the, to the, to the issue of, of pants uh, standard for another example here. I've lost count of the number of churches and families that I have seen tear down that fence. Um, what comes next, in my opinion, is, is just based on my experience, but it's a genuine observation. Tearing down that fence very often results in churches and young people that go from dresses and skirts to, to tight jeans, short shorts, suggestive poses in their pictures that they're putting on Instagram and everywhere else. Is that true in every case? Of course not. Some move to a relatively more modest version of shorts and pants, but I've seen it so often, and when someone pushes me about that fence, this is one of the thoughts in my mind that, that really influences my response. By the way, it may start off as modest dress pants and, and you know, modest length of shorts, but what you allow in moderation, the next generation is going to do in excess. And if you say, well, it's okay for you to do this, then by the time they get old enough to start making their own decisions, it's going to be everything else that you see from everybody else in the world, right? And, and right now, the thing that's in is yoga pants. I mean, you talk about, talk about leaving nothing to the imagination and talking about exactly the opposite of modesty. And yet, we see it so often, not just amongst Christian people, but in churches, and, and amongst the, and, you know, youth groups and all of these other things, number one, how is that distinctly Christian? Number one. But number two, that's, that's so the exact opposite of modesty that you're opening up the door for all kinds of other things to come along as a result of that. And I'm, I'm purposely trying to be vague here, but in, in my extended family, I've, ex, I've seen an example of just that point. Good family in a good church. Um, and for whatever reason, they stepped away from that. I, you know, they're extended family, so I don't know. Uh, and they live, they live in a state way far away from here. And so we don't see them all that often. I don't know what the mindset was behind why they got out of the church that they were in. But it was a good church. And they had, they had good standards. They were, they were very solid in a lot of areas. And they allowed their kids to start wearing long shorts and loose pants. And one by one, as they've gotten married, and by the way, They've all married people with absolutely no standards, um, men or women, um, but they've dropped all semblance of those dress standards. And I've seen them several times. I've seen them posting pictures on, 
on you know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever it happens to be, wearing very, very short shorts, very immodest clothes, uh, standing in very, very immodest and suggestive poses. And I'm sure that the, the, the husband and wife, the parents, looking back at that, are not proud of where that road led. They did not start changing their standards because they expected it to end up there. But that's where it ends up. And all you have to do is look around at people who have dropped those standards, see where they end up to know that that's not where I, end, that's not where I want to end up. But if I do drop these standards, that is where it's going to end up. And the, the parents in this, in this uh, situation are still... You know, they've, they've lowered their standards, but they don't dress that way. Um, they still go to church. They are still involved in, in different uh, ministries and things like that, but they have no control over what's happened with their kids. And I, I can almost guarantee you that if I were to sit down and ask them, they would say that they never expected it to go that far. By the way, when a fence is torn down in one area, it's very often torn down in other areas at the same time. You might start it in the area of music and, and allowing your children to listen to music that is not necessarily acceptable. It's going to lead to other areas where the standards are torn down as well. So often it seems that when a fence is torn down, there's a, there's a, there's a feverish rush to get to the other side of where that fence was. And it's a rush that's anything but thoughtful and it, revolts, it results in excess, um, excesses relatively quickly. And it does not take long when you start, if, if you let go of that standard, it does not take long for them to rush to the edge of that cliff and, and in a lot of cases rush right over the edge of that cliff. I've seen it in relation to alcohol. I've seen it in relation to Bible versions, to music, to dress, to a whole lot of other things. And, and, and again, that, that point alone does not make conservative standards biblical. Um, and, and I don't want anybody to get the... the um, the thought that that's exactly what I'm saying or that's the point that I'm trying to make. But it does have bearing, and I think you'd be wise to accept that. Whether you agree with the illustrations or not, um, the, the, the truths are still there. Once you start tearing down those fences, for whatever reason it is, once you start tearing down those fences, there usually is a rush to the other side of that fence and usually a rush right over the edge of that cliff. And I think if we were to summarize uh, this, I would say get some convictions and then don't be afraid to set standards, and don't be afraid to follow standards that will help you to keep those convictions. The whole purpose of why we do everything that we do is to glorify Christ. And if I, if I, can, if I can do something that's going to help me in that effort, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't follow standards to be spiritual. I follow standards because I am spiritual. And I'm not saying me, I'm just saying in general. We want to reflect the holiness of Christ. We want to reflect the image of Christ in our lives. And so if standards is the point, then you've missed the entire point. But we set those standards because we have to set them somewhere to help us to be what Christ wants us to be and to be true to our convictions, which, again, are based on the Word of God. Now, one thing that often arises in opposition to standards, particularly in the area of dress, is the accusation of being a legalist. You're just legal, you, you know, you're following legalism and all of that stuff, and that, you know, uh, you get accused of being a legalist on the part of the one who has the standard. 
Um, and so next week, I'm going to address that issue. What is legalism? Okay, I, I mean, you hear it often, especially by those, especially by those who once held a standard that they've let go of, once had a fence that they've torn down. All you other Christians that are holding to those standards, you're just legalists. You're just doing it because uh, of legalism. What is it? How does it fit into this? We're going to talk about that next week, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll sing our song that we sing on Sunday nights, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the principles that we have in the Word of God. I, I do pray that as we go through these things, they'd be things that, that we understand, first and foremost, but again, that, that we do because we're trying to be like Christ. We're trying to reflect the holiness of Christ. And God, I pray that in our church, this, th that the standards themselves would never become the ultimate goal, but that the standards would be one step that helps us get closer to being exactly what God wants us to be in our lives so that we can be the most useful in your service. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.